Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. Ken ascend this to the guys this week, but you can trust this man completely. He's a man who loves Jesus, a man who's hungry for Jesus' kingdom to be manifest and advanced here in the, in the earth. And um, so open your hearts. I trust, I trust that God would do something in each and every one of us. So let's pray for Ken before he ministers. Father, thank you for this wonderful couple. Thank you, Lord, for the gift that they are to church in the city, the gift that they are to so many churches across this nation and into the nations. And uh, Lord, we, um, we receive this couple. We receive this apostolic couple. Um, and, and we trust, Lord God, for the impartation that comes with that. We trust, Lord God, for enlargement. We trust, Lord God, for expansion. We trust, Lord God, for the gift of faith, to believe you for impossible things. Not the things that we want, but the things that you have already determined and planned for this church. Thank you that you are moving so powerfully in our city. And thank you that you've called us to be a part of that, to be here for a time such as this. And I pray, Lord God, as Ken ministers, Lord God, that your word would take root in our hearts. Your word would work powerfully by the Spirit to cut deep, and that we would cry out, oh Lord, what can we do? What must we do to see your kingdom advance? Change us, Lord, as you speak through him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Debbie. And I want to thank the leaders. It's a really, really a pleasure and a privilege to be here. Uh, we thanks for the invite. And we love coming to the city. I've always said if ever we moved, I think this is probably one of my favorite cities in the U.S. of A. Cities. Um, just love the place. Uh, obviously, it's because of the people we know here. We really, really um, enjoy Steve and Debbie. Well, we really enjoy Debbie very much. And um, now we do enjoy Steve. He's been very kind. They really are good friends of ours. We, we, um, I don't know how to say this. Uh, there's, you, you meet people in your life. And there's some people that you can just sit down with and open your heart. And you know that you can be real with people and be real with them. And Steve and Debbie are like that to us. They really are. So I can really come and sit with Steve and Debbie and tell them about Michelle and the problems Michelle has. And they are very... <laughs> and, uh, but really they are. So we appreciate your friendship. We really honestly do. We thank you very much. And we appreciate this church. And the privilege of being here. And I want to thank you for letting them come to us next week. I really want to thank you. I know you have to, in a sense, release them to come. And we want to receive them open-handedly. And so we thank you very much for that. Amen. Before getting to the word, and I think this thing's going to fall off my ear very shortly. But anyway, so I might have to have the, the other handheld mic. I'm sorry. Yes. This thing's going to, I can feel it's going to go bye-bye. I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried myself. Eh? All right. But before we um, um, just before I get on to what I want to preach on this morning, for those of you that managed to and were able to come yesterday, Friday night, and yesterday, I just want to say this to you: If God came and touched you in a way that only God can do that in the way that God does. Many times he comes to be able to release us or break us open for more that he wants to do in the future. So if you feel like there wasn't a completion to what he did, that's fine. It will come. But sometimes God wants to reveal things to us, show us things or speak to us. But there are things he needs to adjust and change so we can receive 
the fullness of what he wants to say and what he wants to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's his graciousness. That's how he... And so, because I saw a number of you last night went through quite a bit of ministry, and so some of you might be a little tender or whatever the case is, but know that God is loving and God is strong. This morning, that scripture that came to me for you is two scriptures. One is, uh, how does it, it's Psalm 62, and I can't remember exactly what verse it says. It says, God said one thing, I had two things, that God is loving and God is strong. God is loving and God is strong. And the other word I had for you as a church this morning during the worship was that of Isaiah. You don't have to turn there. Isaiah 43. And it says this, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east, and I will gather you from the west. And I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by name, by my name, for I created for my glory and for whom I formed and made. And I feel like God's going to bring people from the north, the south, and the east, and the west. But it's God that brings people. Amen. Because I feel like God would say, have I not called this place a place of security? Have I not declared a place of safety? Is not my banner over you a one of love and one of safety? That I know I can bring my sons and daughters that I call from the north, the east, and the south, and the west, where they will find refuge and be fed and be nurtured. That's what I feel like the Lord would say to you this morning as a church. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. Hallelujah. Always. Thank you. All right. I don't want to sing. You'll go home. I want to speak to you this morning, and I might have touched on it once or twice when I've been here. But, uh, so if I repeat one or two things, I don't want to apologize for that. Because Paul never apologized for repeating things. Even when Peter, before he left the earth, he said, I want to remind you of these things again and again and again and again and again and again. Amen. It's good to hear the gospel again and again. All right. And I want to preach to you or talk to you or whatever you want to call it on nurturing the seed of revelation. Because revelation changes you. Information adds to your brain. But revelation, when revelation, when God speaks, it always comes with revelation. It always, however he chooses to speak or speaks to you. That's a loving language. However he chooses to talk to you. However, whatever mode or means or avenue he chooses. If God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through any person in that sense. But God is a communicating God. God is a God who speaks. The Bible says in Hebrews, he spoke through his son Jesus Christ. And he still speaks through his son Jesus Christ today. You with me? And when God speaks, it comes, it comes with revelation. And it doesn't come to make us give information to us. It doesn't come to make us smart to give us information. It comes to awaken within us something that we can receive it and be transformed. Because if God, the God of the universe speaks and that, that he speaks enters inside me, it will change me. All right, I'll say that again. <laughs> Trust me, it will, folk. If I had to say to you, tomorrow it's going to rain, and it's going to pour cats and dogs. Do you use that saying here in America? 
you would make adjustments because it's going to rain. If I had to say to you, Jesus Christ is Lord, He's the Lord of all, He will never leave you or forsake you, I pray you would make those adjustments just as much as it's going to rain. See, both are information. I've just given you two information statements. But unless that is a revelation in your heart, it doesn't change you. So I can say to you, Jesus Christ loves you. Which he does, because the Bible tells me so. But it needs to pierce inside and become a revelation and then it changes you. You with me? You understand? That's what's so key to nurture when you receive revelation. Hebrews 4, and you don't have to turn there, the Bible says simply this, that the word of the Lord is strong and powerful. It's a double-edged sword. It pierces to bone and spirit, to marrow and the joints. Deep within, deep within. It's cuts, it's powerful, it's alive, it's active. It's the word of the Lord. Hebrews 4.12. So the greatest prayer that I think you and I can pray is the prayer that Paul taught the disciples at the church of Ephesus to pray. And that's what I want to take you, Ephesians chapter 1. If you can go there, please. Now some of you might say, I'm aware of this or I know this. I pray God builds on that knowing, on that revelation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. This church was birthed in revival. You go read in Acts, it was birthed in revival. But yet, years later, Paul writes this to Christians, to Christians. He says, verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. What? So I can be more intelligent? Or I can look smart? Like an information? No, 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 no. So that you may know him better. That's the heart of revelation. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you individually, family-wise, collectively as a church. The riches of his glorious inheritance... And the incomparable great power that is for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Now when that becomes a revelation to us and it's ongoing, it changes us. It changes who I am. It changes how I look at things. It changes how I look at circumstances. You with me? Don't turn there. In Ephesians chapter 3, I think it's verse 16 and 17, Paul says, and I think I've said it before, I pray that you might know the love of God, how high, how wide, how deep, how incredible this love of God is. I pray that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? By revelation. That's all. Just by revelation. And God is a revealing God. He reveals who He is. He reveals His nature. He reveals His character. If you want to know what God the Father is like, read the Gospels. 
Because everything of God the Father is embodied in His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the exact representation of the deity, the Bible says. Amen. It's great to read the Gospels. And that same Jesus that we saw walking on the earth is the same Jesus that's alive today and the one that we serve and give our lives to. Hallelujah. Amen. But I need the revelation of that, folk. I really need the revelation of that. But revelation comes in seed form. It doesn't come in its fullness. And we need to nurture the seed of revelation. And when we nurture it, and I'm going to explain how we do that to the best of my understanding, my mind is transformed. And when my mind is transformed or my mind is renewed, it becomes a vehicle that God uses by His Spirit to bring reality of that kingdom here on earth. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, I pray that you would renew your mind and not live by the patterns of this world. Because God uses a renewed mind to bring reality of who He is into our lives and here on earth. You with me? A mind that is not renewed can become a stumbling block or a block to what God wants to do. And so God continually renews our minds and what we think about Him. How do you know you've received revelation? Very simply. There are a number of ways, but I'll tell you a very simple way. How many of you heard the voice of the Lord either through an overhead, somebody said something, somebody preached, through a child, even at work, through an unsafe person, somebody, God can speak to you. He says a phrase or he says a, a saying and it just triggers something in you. God can take that. And, you understand what I'm saying? And so he wants his ears to always be hearing what he's saying. And then the revelation comes and you're so excited or you read your Bible and something jumps out at you. Gee, yes. Yes, that grabbed your attention. It like grabbed your attention. It took hold of you somehow. And you're so excited. And you write it down. And you get on the phone. And you phone your wife. Or you phone your husband. Or you phone your friend. And, and you can't talk fast enough. And you know what? You know what? You know what God said? You know what? This, and you know this and this and this. And you, you, how many of you felt that? And then a person on the other end of the phone says, Oh, that's nice. <laughs> you think, don't you get it? No, they probably don't. <laughs> you with me? God has spoken to you. God has spoken to you. And we're always looking for these big things. And it's in the little things that God speaks. It's in always the little things. We're always looking for the signs and wonders. And there's nothing wrong with that. But don't just look for the signs and wonders. God wants to transform our lives to make us in the image of Jesus Christ. You with me? Those will follow. Those will follow. And it's in the small things. It's in your home. It's the way you love your wife. It's little things like that. I remember when you first had kids, how God used to speak to me through my own kids, and they weren't even aware of it. You know, Clayton, my son, can I help you, son? No, Dad, I've got it. And I can see what's coming. Don't worry. I've got it, Dad. I've got it. Can I? No, I've got it. Mess. Then you've got to clean it up. And the father in him says, Ken, can I help you? I've got it. I've got it. Can I? I've got it. Hello, you with me? <laughs> yeah, he speaks to us. But why is this so important? Because revelation is the backbone of our faith. It is the backbone of our faith. Because we live by faith, not by sight. We live by what we cannot see with our natural eye. And so we need revelation of the unseen. You can't see Jesus with this eye. 
You see him with the eyes of your heart. And so he needs to be imprinted here. And that scripture that says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. If I've shared it here, forgive me. It's simply that word enlightened comes from a Greek word called photomatismos. I mean, I can't explain it. I can't describe it. I can't pronounce it. But what it is, is when you take a photo on a camera and you click, the shutter opens and the light comes into the camera and whatever the light brings, it brings that image with it and it impregnates it onto the negative. Then the shutter closes. But it's impregnated there because the light brought it in. And Paul is saying, I pray the eyes of your heart would do that and the image of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, would be impregnated impregnated in you, impregnated in you. His image, something of who He is, would take root here, would be impregnated in you. You with me? Amen. I can't do that again. I'll try, but I won't. Okay. That's what Paul is praying, that you might know him better, that you might know the hope to which he's called you, that you might know his glorious inheritance he has for you in the saints, that you might know his incomparable great power, that power that exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Paul says, I pray that you know that. Hallelujah. Then when everything comes against you, you stand. When circumstances fall, you stand. When somebody speaks bad about you, you stand. When somebody takes something from you, you stand. Because you know Him who loves you. By revelation. Amen. That's why it's so important. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, Where there's no revelation or where there's no vision, my my people cast off restraint or they perish. Without revelation, I walk around without restraint. That's what begins to happen. I just do what my hand finds to do. I just do what I feel like doing. That's why it's the backbone of faith. Without revelation in my life, I perish in this sense. Without seeing my circumstances through God's eyes, the circumstances can overwhelm me and I suffer loss in those circumstances. Instead of seeing my circumstances through the eyes of the Lord. That's why we live by faith, people. Don't look by your circumstances. I want to encourage you, don't. Make life decisions from an unseen realm point of view, not from a seen realm point of view. You understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. All right, so, without revelation, constantly revelation, this is what happens. Legalism comes in, carnality might come in, or apostasy coming. Now, those are big words. I'll explain. Legalism is simply the attempt to achieve anything from God by observing a set of rules, by trying to be good. That's legalism, however you define it. So if I do this, God loves me. If I do that, God doesn't love me. You with me? It's legalism. It's crippling. It's crushing. Carnality is just relying on my fleshly nature to achieve something for God. And apostasy is perverting the central truth of the gospel. So where there's no revelation, those three can come into the life, in our lives, the life of the church. And where we find legalism or carnality or apostasy in a church, 
In my life, you'll find theology will be exalted above revelation, intellectual education above revelation, psychology above discernment, programs above the leading of the Holy Spirit, eloquence above supernatural power, reasoning above the walk of faith, and laws above love. That's what slowly begins to creep in. Isn't it interesting that in the ministry of Jesus, of all his miracles, whatever he did, whether it's casting out demons or whatever, healing the sick, raising the dead or whatever, 11 were done 11 times when somebody was touched and healed in some way. 11 times it was because there was a demonic bondage in a person's life and he got rid of that. 14 times when he just touched someone and they got healed. Five times was by the prayer of somebody else. Seven times it was by the prayer of another person. I mean the faith of another person. It wasn't even that person's faith. Seven times it was the faith of that particular person. The overwhelming times, 29 times he spoke the word and it happened. That's the power of the word. They spoke it in other times when he touched and be healed, but it came with, but 29 just spoke the word and it took place. The people took it and believed it. Amen. So, how do we nurture revelation? Number one, or what is the word nurture? I looked it up in the dictionary. Care for, encourage the growth of and development of. Nurture or cherish a hope or a belief. That's the word nurture. That's to nurture. To care for or encourage the development of growth of. To cherish a hope or a belief. So in Matthew chapter 13, in Mark chapter 4, and in Luke chapter 8, we are giving some insight into the seed of revelation. So we're going to look at one of those. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Can we do that? Luke chapter 8. And for me, people... Of all the parables Jesus spoke about, this is that parable that's the key to all the other parables. Luke chapter 8. Sorry if I get a little intense. I just get all excited. If I can share a very small personal story. When I got married, I was not a good husband. I loved my wife, but I lived like a bachelor. Many of you know that. All right, thank you. And I think I'm mismanaging. We had kids, so I wasn't a good husband because I was never there for the first couple of years of our marriage. Then I got saved, and there was a huge change in my life, but huge change in my life. But then another thing happened to me where I find God will give you five or six major revelations. This for me was it. We were in full-time youth ministry. We were ministering to a young girl. She was 19 or 20, Michelle and I. We had asked some questions to her. And one of the questions I asked her, how was your relationship with your father? And we spoke about it. And then she left. And as she left, she walked out the door with Michelle. And then she put her head back in around the door. And she turned to me and she said, Ken, by the way, how was your relationship with your father? If I back up a little, my earthly father committed suicide when I was four or five years old. He was an alcoholic. So I never knew him. But there was always a longing deep within me to have known what he was like. 
I think any little boy or little girl want to know what their earthly father was like. And in that, as she said, what was your... God took hold of me just through that little saying, what was your father like? They left. The presence of God came upon me and I just broke into tears. And I crept up, I'm 34 years old, sitting on the couch, and I'm gaining to like a fetal position. And God is just downloading his father's heart to me. Just downloading his heart to me. That's what he's doing. And I had a revelation of some extent of the father heart of God. And it changed me again. I was saved already, but it's like changed me again. It changed the way I fathered from that day on. Not that I did everything right. It changed the way I even pastor people. It's just something of a father's heart. It wasn't of me. He gave it to me. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? That was my revelation. That was my revelation. And so people say when I pray for them, they cry. They just start, I don't know what it is. They just start crying and weeping. It's like I've got the snot anointing, somebody said. I don't understand it, but they do. Not everybody, but it's something I believe of the, the father heart of God that is beginning to touch them somehow. You with me? That's what revelation does. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't work for it. It just came, but I nurtured it. I read books on it. I read about it. You with me afterwards? So that's how it comes. So you nurture it. So in these gospels, in the gospel or the parable of the sower, Jesus starts speaking to them about the sower that went out to sow seed. And I don't want to try and shorten it. So if you read from verse 4, he said, A large crowd gathered. The people were coming to him from town after town. He told this parable. A farmer went out to sow seed. He scattered the seed. Some fell here, some fell there, etc. And coming all the way down to verse 8, still other seed fell in good soil. It came up, yielded a crop, and a hundred times more than it was sown. Then he said to them, and he called to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him, what does this peril mean? He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to others I speak in parables. He's saying something of the treasures and the mysteries of the secrets of the kingdom of God. Of what I came to show, what I came to reveal, what I'm demonstrating, what I'm talking about, what my father came for me to show. Something of the nature of the kingdom. I'm giving to you right now. It's hidden in this parable. Are you with me? Michael Eaton says this about this little extract. He says, according to Mark, the kingdom was the central theme of Jesus' teaching. Jesus is the king. When Jesus comes, God's king comes. And if God's king has come, then we may expect God to act in royal power. But the kingdom remains a secret even when it has been given to us. Imagine I give you a sealed envelope. I give it to you and no one else. You have something that no one else has. Inside the envelope is something valuable, but the envelope is sealed. You have been given something, but you still have to open it to know what it is about. Jesus says he has given his disciples something no one else has, but it is still a mystery, it's still a secret. That's why you must take heed as you hear. So you've been given the kingdom when you got saved. 
that it's unfolding in your life. As you hear God speak, the kingdom advances and folds in your life. As you take heed of what he's sowing, you walk more into the kingdom of God. Do you understand? You experience more of its righteousness, peace, and joy. You live in a greater reality of it. You see the kingdom come in a greater extent in your life and your family. That's what Jesus is saying. But you've been given it. The day you got saved, you've been given the kingdom. And it's burst inside you. Hallelujah. Amen. But now we've got to nurture it and let God unpack it in us. So how do we nurture it? First of all, let me say this. To be fruitful in any form or have a harvest, what are you going to do? The first thing you've got to do to have a harvest. What is the first thing you do before you do anything else? Help me out. It's very basic. Plant the seed. You're a prophet, miss. Yeah. Without, a, without a seed, you will not get anything. Without the seed of revelation, without the seed of God, you will not produce in the kingdom. That's it. No matter how hard you try. So you've got to allow God to put the seed in us. And that's his heart and desire. You with me? All right. So verse 15. Let's go all the way down to verse 15. I don't want to go through all the different ways. I just want to go down to verse 15. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So now Jesus has given us something of how to nurture that seed. That's what he's given us right there. How to nurture the seed that will break open the kingdom in our lives that has been given to us. You with me? That's what he's doing. He's giving it to us. So the first thing he says, here. Here literally means an attitude of interest. An attentive desire to receive and understand. So it's not like when you're watching the football and the Redskins are beating the Bears. I've got to say that, okay? It's about the only game we're going to win this year, but anyway. And now you're watching the football and your wife is talking to you. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Then you turn the volume up. And she gets, she gets louder. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're not hearing. So Jesus, no. You listen with intent. With interest. You're eager to hear. You're with me. You're like front-footed. You, I love that song. You lean in into his heart. That's the way to hear. So I encourage you, when you come on Sunday, don't come in a passive attitude. I encourage you, you're going to miss it. I'm just being honest. Because God will speak. As sure as made little green apples, God will speak. And the beauty about it is you'll speak to different people in different things through the same message. So come with an ear to hear, folks. Come with saying, God, I want to hear what you have to say to me. Then make notes, I agree. But when you feel God had highlighted something to you, write it in bold. And go back and listen to that again and read it again and underline it. Now you've heard with interest. You with me? Because it's grabbed your heart. You with me? I'm trying to be as practical as I can. When you go to prayer meetings, don't go and be a spectator. Be a participator. Don't go to church and be a spectator. Be a participator. Spectators just watch. They don't get anything. Participators get involved in the game. You with me? I encourage you. 
God wants participators. So come with an ear to hear. To the extent we hear is the extent we will receive. And I need to tell you, God does, has not stopped speaking. He loves his kids. Imagine you as a mother or father, you never speak to your kids. They would lock you away. They would say, that's not right. You're communicating permanently. How much more your Father in Heaven who loves you? How much more your Father in Heaven who loves you? So it's to hear. The next one is to retain. It means to maintain possession of, hold on to firmly, keep with care and interest. That word retain, that's what it means. It's to retain. So the greatest tool to develop this, to position ourselves, to retain it, is prayer meditation. It's the greatest tool I know. You might know of another tool. Now, I used to do Eastern meditation before I got saved. And Eastern meditation teaches you to clear your mind. Do not do that. Because if you clear it, the devil will fill it with what he wants to fill it. That's what TM is all about. Clear your mind. Sit quietly. And the devil says, hallelujah, let me fill it up, let me fill it up, let me fill it up, let me fill it up. Biblical meditation is to fix your mind on Christ. It's to fill your mind. And how do I go about that? It's very simply three ways. To muse, to mutter, to talk. That's biblical meditation. To matter, you all do it. Let me go back a little bit. You've all meditated, every single one of you. How many of you have ever worried about something in your life or your kid's life for an extended period? You've just meditated. Because it's gone round and 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 round in your head. That's meditation. You with me? So biblical meditation is the same thing, but it's thinking on the right thing. So one of the ways you do it is to mutter. Now, all of us mutter. Let me use an example. You wake up in the morning, you get your coffee. If you drink coffee, which you should, because it's biblical. No, it's not. <laughs> Whatever. And as you get it, you're just about to sit down and enjoy it, and you drop it. Oh, no, man. Oh, and the dog runs past. Stupid dog. Jeez, get out of my way, man. Oh, no, now I've got to go make another cup. Oh, come on, man. I hope it's not one of those days again. Come on, man, please. And then as you walk in the kitchen, you slip. Oh, no, come on, man. You know? I love that Monday night football. Come on, man. All right, anyway. <laughs> you, what are you doing? You're muttering under your voice. You're muttering, 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 muttering. That's what you're doing. Now, the biblical matter is... Lord, it's not going well today, but I thank you. You're good. You still love me despite the fact. I thank you that you're on your throne. And you can mutter anywhere, in the toilet, in the bath, in your car, in the park, in your home, in your bed. You can mutter. Nobody can stop you. Hallelujah. What's so funny about that? <laughs> and you're muttering the things of God. Thank you, God, you love me. Thank you, God, you haven't left me. It's a rough day, Lord, but you're still on the throne. Hallelujah. Amen. So it's not, re not, not reality. Like there's reality, but you matter on His goodness. And you speak it under your breath. So when you hear the sirens come in, 
for you because I see you walking, your mouth is going. They're coming to get you now, playing. <laughs> That's a form of metabolic. The, the Psalms is full of it. Full of it. Next one is to muse. Muse is simply where you take something and you chew on it and you chew on it and you chew on it. You look it up. You cross-reference it. You read something up on it. You read other books on it. You read other books on the truth. You, you get in. It's like the cow chewing the cut. It's getting everything that came out of it. That's to muse on it. So if the Lord says, do not fear, and it penetrates your heart, go look up what the Lord says, what is the opposite of fear. How many times he said it, what he says about it, and then muse yourself on that. It's the most big, the single biggest commandment that the Lord said throughout the word of God. Do not fear. Joshua, do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Started right from them. Are you with me? Jesus spoke it more than anything else. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. So then you get into it and you move. And the last one is to talk. Let me share scripture with you. You might know it. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. God says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Be very strong and very courageous. Meditate on my law day and night. And I've left the word out. Meditate on my law day and night with, I'll leave it blank. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Then you'll enter the land I sworn earth to your forefathers. So meditate on the Lord day and night with, help me with the next word. What is the next word? With your mouth what it says with your mouth with your tongue with your lips that's what your mouth consists of meditate on this law day and night with your mouth talk it talk it talk it talk it talk it talk it and if you sit at a coffee shop or around a dinner table a lunch table and you speak about the things of God or you speak about the football and it's great and then somebody changes the conversation and you speak about something about a testimony about what God's done or revelation and the whole atmosphere starts to change and you come away from that conversation and you just feel built up because you've meditated on the things of God by talking, 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 talking. Let me say this, and please don't take it out of hand. It's not name it and claim it. What is a revelation in your heart, it has to be a revelation. It has to come out your mouth. And only what you confess is what you walk into. But I'm not talking about name it and claim it. It's a revelation in you. Let me use a simple example. And if I've done this, again, excuse me, I need two people up here, please. Can I have you two guys? Thank you. All right, which one should play God and which one should play the devil? <laughs> All right. Okay, he's wearing red. Play the devil. Sorry. Okay. All right. The Old Testament said this. Everything has to be established by a witness of two or three. Jesus repeated it three times. Paul repeated it twice. Everything has to be established by a witness of two or three. So example, if we take up an offering here, and Dave's, sorry, Dave, Dave's taking it to the back, and I'm walking with Dave, and he walks around the corner, and he doesn't know I'm behind him, and he puts his hand in the offering and takes it, and I shove it in his pockets, and he, sorry, Dave, okay. And I come back, and I say, Steve, You'll never believe. I saw Dave taking the money. Now it's his word against mine. Nothing can happen. 
because it's not established by another witness. You with me? That's why it has to be the testimony of two or three to be established something. Now, you and I and me, aren't you happy? All right, okay. We the believer, we love Jesus. This is the devil, this is the Lord. The Lord says, Ken, Steve, Amy, whatever, I love you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'm with you, these are my promises for your life. And he continue repeats it. The devil comes and says, Ken, I know what you did yesterday, I know what you did last week, I know that you thought this, I know how you think about yourself, I know this, I know that, and he whispers all these lies into me. I'm standing here. That's one witness. That's one witness. What I side with is the second witness and gets established in my life, and that's what I walk into. That's what I walk into. Amen. Thank you. That's how powerful it is. That's why you've got to talk it. It's a power of agreement. That's what it is. But two or three are gathered in my name and they agree upon anything, there I am in the midst. The power of agreement. Biblical says to hear, to maintain, and the last one, Jesus said, to preserve. By preserving. That word preserve means to remain under, a bearing up under, a patient endurance as to things or circumstances. In other words, God has spoken something to you, you're making some decisions at it, and all the circumstances that are coming against you that are just, they're not nice circumstances, but you're standing strong under it. You're standing strong under it. And everybody's saying everything else to you, but you're just standing strong under, you're bearing up under the circumstances. That's what it means when Paul says, and finally, when you've done everything, just stand. Just stand. You're with me. Just stand. And so you're standing up under the circumstances. That's the perseverance. And it's patiently persevering. Sometimes this process is long. It's not nice. It's not pleasant. Sometimes it can be months. Sometimes it can even be years. That's the patience. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, my brothers, James was saying, be patient in affliction. Endure it. Because your faith is being tested and proved. You with me? Faith. I've heard God. I'm standing under it. Everything's coming against me. Lord, I'm convinced I heard you, God. I'm convinced I'm just going to stand you. Amen. You with me? Let me use this very simple, funny example out of my own life. When I first got saved, before I got saved, I was quite a a profuse social drinker, quite heavy social drinker. And I got saved, and that was not an issue in my life, but occasionally I'd have a beer at a barbecue or a glass of wine when we went out, whatever the case is. I was reading the Derek Prince one day, book, lying in bed, and I felt the Lord speak to him and say, Ken, you've got to cut out alcohol out of your life. But I didn't know it was the Lord at that time. I ignored it. And over a month or two, two or three times, the same impression came to me. So I said eventually, all right, Lord, I'll do it because I love you. So I said to Michelle, Michelle, next time we go out for dinner, 
and the waiter or waitress comes and says, do you want something to drink? And I say, because I'll forget. Let me have a glass of wine. You've got to help me say no. You see, I'm becoming accountable. That's what happens. You need to be accountable. Amen. We need one another. So anyway, a couple of months go by, and one day Michelle and I were down in Cape Town. We decide to go out for uh, just her and I, just a night out, a date night. And obviously the waiter comes, and I've forgotten. Yeah, I'll have a beer. Michelle turns to me and says, no, you won't. And he's looking at us. I said, I'll have a beer. And she says, no, you won't. And so he's looking at her. He's looking at me. He's looking at her. So he says, I'll come back later. All right. Imagine what he said to his mates in the back. Don't go to that woman. But woo-wee. All right. So he comes back. He says, what do you want to drink? I said, I'll have a glass of water. He just smiles. <laughs> Because Michelle said to me, remember what you said. I said, you're right, I remember. Now that's a silly example of patiently enduring under it. That's all I'm going to say. For six and a half, I don't know how long it was, I didn't touch alcohol. And then one day God just said, that's fine now. So I'll have a beer occasionally if I feel I need to. You understand what I'm saying? Because in those six and a half years, the Lord revealed to me, my father I did not know, and he was an alcoholic. His father was an alcoholic. On my mother's side, her parents were alcoholics, and their parents were alcoholics. So like the Lord says, stand strong. I want to break this thing right off your bloodline. So sometimes you fight battles, not even for yourself, for those that are coming in persevering, because you've heard the Lord. Amen. Now you're planting good seed for the generations to come. Hallelujah. That's what it means. One day, we had one car. Michelle comes to me and says, I think we ought to give our car away. So I said, all right. She tells me who we give our car away. Now we've got nothing. But, and we had to endure. We had to make some arrangements. It wasn't easy. It wasn't pleasant. But we endured under it, if you understand what I'm saying. From that time on till now, we've received five cars over a period of 20 years. See, God will always give back. You can't give him. That's what I'm talking about. So when the Lord speaks to you about something and all your friends say, no, don't, don't, don't worry about it. Oh, just leave it. You stand. And if it's an alcoholic, don't have milk when they have something else. Whatever, I'm just saying. You with me? I hope it's helping. Because you've received the word. Okay. Then, and so the last thing I want to say, it's like the pregnant lady. I said this yesterday. A seed is planted in intimacy. A lady gets pregnant. She carries the seed in her that she's bringing birth, but it's not at the birth stage yet. But as she's carrying this seed, and in a spiritual term, I want to use it as a seed of revelation. As you carry that, it's doing, it's giving birth to things within you. That, it's changing you. A pregnant lady changes Hormones change, her desires change, her sleep patterns change, uh, the chocolate cake at 3 o'clock in the morning changes, uh, whatever, it, it changes. It changes her desires, it changes her taste, it changes her. She's done nothing. She just got, fell pregnant, got pregnant, whatever, whatever, got pregnant. It's all she did in intimacy, in love. That's exactly the seed of God will do in your life. It will change you. And you've done nothing. 
You just heed it to it. That's Christianity. Because it's His power that is transferring you and changing you, not you. That's what Jesus, after this in Mark 4, tells this parable about the farmer that went out to sow seed. And it says, all by itself, it sprung, took root, and came through. First the stalk, then the kernel, and the full head, and then the harvest came. The farmer slept, he woke up, but the seed was producing. The farmer slept, he woke up, but the seed was producing. So even when you sleep, the word is working within you. Hallelujah. Just be patient. We want it tomorrow. We want it now. Hamburger. McDonald's. No, 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 no. Hurry, 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 hurry. Come on, Lord. Hurry, hurry. The Lord made it wait. The Lord, God himself, waited 120 years for Noah to build the ark. The Bible says the Lord waited patiently for Noah to build the ark. The Lord waited patiently. <laughs> I think we can wait patiently. Amen? For his purposes to become fulfilled. So I want to encourage you. Take the seed of revelation. Let it enter in your heart. Let it produce. And you will walk into fruitfulness. You will walk into a harvest. You will reap a harvest of what God has told you. What that word will, that word will produce. I will watch as the rain and the snow come down and water it. And do not return back to it without watering the earth. So my word that proceeds from my mouth will not return back to me void, but will produce that which I have said that it will produce. Therefore, the trees will go out and clap their hands in the fields and all that, that Isaiah 55 passage. Hallelujah. And the promises of God over you will be fulfilled. Take them, nurture them, meditate them, repeat them, sing them, declare them, clap them, write them, whatever. Let them take root and it will transform you and position you to the place where you can walk into the promises of God. Amen. Can we pray? I hope that's helpful, huh? Father, I want to thank you for this church. I honestly do. And your incredible, precious promises over this church. Thank you for the seeds of revelation that you have sent and will continue to repeat and send. I thank you that you're patient and kind. You're patient and kind. Your word says that it's your patience that leads us to repentance. Father, I thank you. I pray, give us all ears to hear what you're saying. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to understand and perceive. When you, the resurrected Christ, speak, it comes with divine authority and power. When you, the resurrected Christ, speak, the earth quakes, the heavens shift, and things open up. When you, the resurrected Christ, speaks, Lord, nothing is impossible for you. And so, Lord, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, I pray. I want to declare it over your people, over this, this leadership couple, and over this church. I want to declare it into the four corners of this city. In the name of Jesus Christ, let your kingdom come with ever-increasing glory.
with ever-increasing power, with ever-increasing facets of love and expressions of love. Let the joy be evident among your people as they walk from this place because your kingdom consists of righteousness, joy, and peace. Thank you, Lord. Bless this church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just thank Ken for his ministry this morning. We, we are going to bring the meeting into a close. Um, just a couple quick things before we move on. Um, Rob and Janelle, we'd like to pray for you over here. So if you guys would like to join us, and we're going to be praying for Rob and Janelle. Yes, sure. And then um, we, uh, I have said to Ken, I've asked Ken and Michelle if they can be available to pray um, afterwards for a few moments. Can I just ask, though, that if you were here, this, if you were at the retreat, if you were at the state retreat, and especially last night, if you had an opportunity for Ken to pray for you or Michelle to pray for you, can I ask that you give space to the folk that weren't able to be there this weekend so that Ken and Michelle can have a chance to minister over them first? Um, I just think it's fair that we, we give uh, others a chance to enjoy the ministry that Ken and Michelle bring to the church. So just give some space to those um, who weren't with us this weekend to, to be ministered to, and then if time allows, um, certainly as the Lord leads you to come forward and to, to receive prayer. However, we don't always look to the man or the woman as the power for the hour. We always look to the Lord. So we have a team of equally gifted and equally anointed and equally called, called men and women who are going to be available to pray for you. So please don't feel you have to go to Ken and Michelle to receive prayer. We always press into Jesus. So we're going to have some of the ministry team available. Come up for prayer if the Lord is leading you to, you know, to do that. Um, Christian and Sue will be at the back to answer any questions. If you're visiting with us, tea and coffee outside. Thank you guys for coming out today. Trust you have a wonderful Sunday, and we look forward to seeing you at the prayer meeting on Wednesday night at 6.30. Thanks, guys. Have a great Sunday.